1: Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible, we talk about worldviews, we talk about world religions, we talk about a lot of different things. And so, Tuesdays are the day that we sort of have set aside as Tough Question Tuesday. Now, um, some questions really are more difficult than other questions, and so Tuesday is the, the day that we set aside for your really tough questions, that you can call me at 303-873-1935. And as always, I am fond of giving a caveat, a disclaimer, if you will, that um, even though I'm happy to try and answer your questions, that doesn't mean I know the answer to every question. And so typically, questions fall into different categories. Category number one, questions I know. Category number two, questions I don't know. But somebody knows, and I'll, I'm happy to try and help you find out that answer and, and and quick to acknowledge I don't know the answer. There might be a third category, and that is questions nobody knows except for God. And so I'm getting more and more comfortable about not knowing everything about everything. So happy to try to help you with your call. It's 303-873-1935 on this Tough Question Tuesday. But again, 303-873-1935. And I am going to um, read from the American Minute. These are notable events of American significance remembered on the date that they occurred by William J. Federer, and he writes for today, for January 23rd. He, he writes, quote, January 23rd, 1789, John Carroll founded Georgetown University. John Carroll was brother of Daniel Carroll, who signed the United States Constitution and gave the land where the capital is built, John Carroll was a cousin to Charles Carroll, who was the wealthiest man in America and the Declaration's longest living signer. John Carroll's nephew, Robert Brent, was Washington, D.C.'s first mayor, reappointed by Jefferson and Madison. John Carroll, America's first Catholic bishop, founded the nation's first Catholic seminary and parochial school system. He persuaded Elizabeth Seton to start a girls' school in Baltimore in 1776. The Continental Congress asked John Carroll to go with Ben Franklin to try to enlist Canada's support of the revolution. His influence led several states to give Catholics equality. Bishop John Carroll wrote, quote, freedom and independence acquired by the mingled blood of Protestant and Catholic fellow citizens should be equally enjoyed by all, unquote. President Washington wrote to John Carroll in March of 1790, quote, your fellow citizens will not forget the patriotic part which you took in the accomplishment of their revolution, May the members of your society in America, animated alone by the pure spirit of Christianity, enjoy every temporal and spiritual felicity unquote. and that 's the American minute for today 303-873-1935. I was going to talk a little bit about a um, controver- another controversy. Uh, that's posted at Christian Headlines, at ChristianHeadlines.com. This has been offered by Michael Faust, who's a ChristianHeadlines.com contributor. And the headline reads, Alistair Begg Sparks Controversy for Encouraging Grandma to Attend a Transgender Wedding. So pause, and let's look at the article. So obviously, pastor and author Alistair Begg... um, is a well-known Bible teacher. I have met him on a couple of occasions and uh, his is a ministry I recommend and his is a minute and he is a person I respect. And so um, the comments came in a September interview about his new book, the Christian manifesto, but it went largely unnoticed until it sparked this firestorm on social media. Church leaders reported on the remarks. And of course, Alistair Begg is the senior pastor at Parkside Church near Cleveland, Ohio. He also has a daily radio program, Truth for Life, heard right here. His advice to the grandfather or excuse me, the grandmother came with several caveats. And so I wanted to um quote him in the interview directly, and then maybe make some comments. He said, quote, we field questions all the time that go along the lines of my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person. I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. I'm continuing the quote, quote, And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, and people may not like this answer, but I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance in any affirming way the choices that he's made in life? Yes, quote, I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. Your love for them may catch them off guard. But your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said, these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared to countenance anything, unquote. And then Alistair Begg added, referencing his advice, quote, we're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and don't understand that he is a king. And so Alistair Begg's book, The Christian Manifesto, examines the Sermon on the Mount from Luke chapter 6, which is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. And so the book, according to a summary on Begg's website, says, quote, navigates us through the challenging instruction Jesus gives about forgiveness, integrity, obedience, blessedness um, that turns our value system upside down. So what are we to think about this? How do we respond? How do we, again, think about this question and Again, the the way that I might answer that question might be a little bit different from Alistair Biggs, but if you want to know how I might think about it a little bit more, stay tuned. 303-873-1935 on this Tough Question Tuesday. One. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. This is Gino Geraci. The number 303-873-1935. I was talking a little bit about the controversy that was sparked by Alistair Begg as he gave advice to a grandmother about attending uh, her grandson's wedding to a person who identifies uh, as uh, transgender. Now... Again, I don't know if this meant that this was a female who identifies as a male or a male who identifies as a female. But one of the things that I think I went, you know, obviously when I'm asked, you know, should a Christian attend the wedding of a gay couple? Um, a, A little bit of encouragement. If you are the friend that a gay couple would invite to their wedding, then you're probably doing something right. So again, when Jesus ministered to those who were despised by society—the tax collectors, the sinners—you'll remember he he drew near to them. Um, we think again about the Bible, Matthew nine ten, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. And were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. In Luke 15, 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So Jesus doesn't seem put out by sinners. He's a friend to them. Now, again, we understand that no sin is greater than another. All sin is offensive to God homosexuality is one of many sins listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When it talks about, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy or drunkards or revilers, this is people who throw parties, um, uh, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So we sin, we fall short of God's glory. We can only be saved through Christ. So some would contend that a Christian doesn't have any conscience issues about attending a gay wedding and uh, that one's presence at a gay wedding doesn't necessarily indicate support for homosexual lifestyle. So this is... This is an argument that has to be carefully thought about. Rather, they view it as extending Christ's love toward a friend. Now, the thought is that one's presence at the wedding ceremony is an act of love and friendship towards the person, not towards the lifestyle or the spiritual choice. So, we don't seem to hesitate to support friends and loved ones who struggle with other sins, showing support and unconditional love could be an open door of opportunity in the future. But here's the problem. Here's the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem. I mean, obviously, we go to weddings of our unbelieving friends. We go to weddings who they may have been involved in an adulterous relationship with the person. And the list could go on and on. The problem is that a gay wedding is a celebration of two people who are living a lifestyle that God has declared to be immoral and unnatural. In Romans chapter 1, it says in verses 26 and 7, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with Women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral. And the adulterer. But, I, but part of what we have to come to grips with is it's an oxymoronic statement, gay wedding, because it isn't really marriage. Gay wedding dishonors marriage by perverting the meaning of marriage. Unlike weddings of those in other faiths, uh, so if Hindus get married or Muslims get married or atheists get married or agnostics get married, it's still a marriage between a man and a woman. A gay wedding doesn't qualify as marriage according to what God declares marriage to be. So, in other words, you have to redefine that word. Now, obviously, the United States Supreme Court has redefined that word. The word has culturally been redefined. But, again, when we ask and we answer this question, if it's legal, is it moral, or does it remain immoral? And so, unlike weddings... In Hinduism, Buddhism, Native American, atheist, agnostic, a gay wedding doesn't qualify as a marriage according to what God says a marriage is. So a marriage between a non-Christian man and a non-Christian woman is still a marriage in God's eyes. If a non-Christian man and a non-Christian woman, or even a Christian man and a Christian woman, if they run off to Las Vegas and get married, are they married in God's eyes? The answer is yes. If an unbeliever and another unbeliever get married, if you want to use that term, in a um, in a common law state with common law provisions, if they meet the qualifications of the common law provision, are they really married? The answer is yes. And if for whatever reason the marriage fails, do they have to go through a legal divorce? The answer is yes. So in God's eyes, the fulfillment of the one flesh relationship that God intends is between a man and a woman. Even a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever is a valid marriage. How do we know? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So even though God commands believers To not be unequally yoked. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? So, a homosexual union, a gay union, is not A marriage according to the Bible's revelation. So imagine your homosexual friends say, we're married in God's eyes. Or we're married in the state's eyes. Or imagine the person says, we believe in God, and we believe we're married in God's eyes. God ordained marriage to be between a man and a woman for a lifetime. And so... To pervert that and declare something that God says is unholy and unconscionable as being holy and conscionable, it seems moot to ask God's blessing on a union that he declares to be unnatural. So suppose a Christian could attend a gay wedding and somehow communicate clearly that they don't support the individual quote-unquote getting married. They don't support their lifestyle. The individual he is supporting are still holding an event which celebrates their immorality. So with all due respect, with all due respect to Alistair Begg and other people like Amy Grant and other people who have suggested that it's okay, with all due respect, it is still a celebration of immorality. They're holding an event that celebrates immorality instead of condemning immorality. So it's very, very, very difficult to get around that. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. By the way, if you'd like to join me on the program, the number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. I'm going to have a little bit more to say about the uh, gay wedding situation but again the number is 3038731935 and i do just want to remind you that you can make the decision right now to get lasting relief from that awful joint pain for 2024 you don't need to go another year Compromising because of that pain in your knees or shoulders, you can call QC Kinetics right now. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative non surgical pain relief. Your body has what it needs to restore and repair that damaged joint tissue, and QC Kinetics can make it happen with no drugs, no surgery, no downtime. And the future pain treatment has arrived, and QC has tens of thousands of satisfied patients all over America with back pain, hip pain, any kind of pain associated with joint, arthritis, injury. And, again, it's something that is, well, not just superficial. It's not a, a, a Band-Aid. It's a revolutionary treatment that will get you going again, get your life back it's non-surgical. If this is the year you decide to fight back against that pain, take the first step. Call QC Kinetics. Get a free consultation on that calendar schedule. The appointment right now, you can call 303 989 8986 303 And, uh, you know, part of the challenge that we have, it's admirable, To show love to a friend. It's not wrong to love your friend. But again, the way that we demonstrate that love, I think, is by doing what's in the best interest of that person. And so is it in the best interest of that person to participate in a ceremony that literally celebrates sin. We support an alcoholic friend by helping him refrain from drinking. In other words, we don't go to the bar with them. We support a friend who is overwhelmed or addicted to pornography by making him or her accountable and then getting them help not by organizing his pornographic magazine collection or creating more hard space on his computer in order to have more pornographic images on his computer. We support a homosexual friend by ministering, loving, helping, supporting them in their decision to exit the lifestyle not by signing a guest book at a celebration of homosexuality. We don't truly help our friends by attending an event where their sin is applauded. Now, again, is it wrong to love your friends? Of course it's not wrong to love your friends. It's good to seek opportunities to witness, to show kindness, To look for opportunities to love your gay friends. But that's part of the challenge. The challenge is how do we responsibly stand up for righteousness, even if it results in pain and division or even hatred? And again, think of Luke chapter 12. Verse 51, where it says, where Jesus says, Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, one house there will be divided. will be... Five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother in law against daughter in law, and daughter in law against mother in law. In John fifteen, eighteen it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So for the person who says, I don't think Jesus would ever be divisive, well They've never read Luke chapter 12, verse 51 through 53. So, although I respect, admire, and still support many of the people who have given a different advice, it's my conviction that a believer in Jesus should respectfully decline. 303-873-1935 303-873-1935 303-873-1935 303-873-1935 Let's see who's up Michael welcome to the program
2: Hello Gino Hello Hey it's always it's always good to talk with you even if I'm going to disagree with you
1: Go for it
2: Um I just I don't totally disagree with you, but I will tell you that I have a child who is married to a person of the same sex, and I was invited to their wedding, and because I love my child dearly, I went, and well. I do not in your favor. In any way. Well,
1: in your favor. Okay. And again, you talk about I agree and kind of disagree. I'm going to support your position just for a moment. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. It's my conviction yeah. that a gay wedding isn't an issue that the Bible explicitly addresses. There's no chapter and verse that I can point to and say, Thou shalt not go to a gay wedding. Okay. Um, so to to your point do Christians have freedom and the way that I think about it is the freedom that is found in Romans chapter 14 and 15 where um, where the Bible basically says what do we do with the situation that you and I are in right at this very moment where you went and you thought it was a good idea. I personally would not go, and I think it's a bad idea. Um, to support your position, like I said, there's no you shall or you shall not passage. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to envision a scenario where I think it's a good thing to do. So the, the, the my little principle, is found in Romans fourteen, where like like you earlier said, I don't regret it. in In Romans fourteen verses one through five, Paul says, with the problem of questionable things where sincere Christians disagree, Paul says. Can you do this with a clear conscience or are you fully convinced in Romans chapter 14? Can I do this as unto the Lord? Romans 14, six through nine. Will it stand the test at the judgment seat? Can you imagine yourself before Jesus and you going, Jesus, you know me, you know my heart, you know, my love for my child. I'm standing before you and I still think that I made the right choice. The other thing is, am I causing people to stumble? Can I do it by faith? Am I doing this to please others or to please myself? These are the kind of the little key um, markers that I try to use in order to make a difficult decision where it's not clear.
2: Okay, I understand what you're saying. My child knows and knew beforehand that I disagreed with the lifestyle. I disagreed with the marriage, but I loved that child. And I was willing to show my love that just as Christ shows his love for me, as a sinner that I am and
1: Unfortunately I love you. Yeah. Unfor- Fido. Unfortunately I gotta go, but I'll let you finish your thought when we come back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. And I wanted to give Michael a chance to finish his thought and thank you, Michael, for calling and being so uh, respectful and Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and as
2: the mortician said to the doctor, thank you for your patience. <laughs> anyway, the uh, my point is that I love my child dearly, just as Christ loves me dearly. In spite of my sin. And.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, not to nitpick, but I don't think Jesus celebrates your sin. He un, He dies no. for your sin. He dies for your sin so that you can be reconciled to the Father. But, see, I, I don't think it's necessarily, to me, loving isn't just simply an expression of cooperation it's a willingness to do what's in the best interest of the child or the person that you love and i'm willing to concede that that's exactly what you think you're doing so i'm not here to judge that i'm just here to to point that out strangely enough in
2: the past 37 years that my wife and i have been married we have been acquainted with many gay people in college, uh, college professor um, that became a very good friend and many people after that. And I've never quite understood why God put so many gay people in our lives. I've given up trying to understand I've just accepted that not all of our friends are straight, and God has put them in our path, hopefully, to be a blessing and be a model. Where it went from there, I can't tell you.
1: It's no, not up I, to me I, to know. I I am sympathetic. I think about it. I was born in New Orleans, raised in Southern California, went to the University of San Francisco. My whole life has been around. Now I my, my whole yeah. life has been with homosexuals. Now, but but again, yeah. it all of this to say, I've been around a lot of adulterers I've been around a lot of drunks I've been around a lot of drug addicts and in high school I was voted most likely to go to hell I was the person your parents warned you about that said don't hang out with Gino Geraci nothing good's gonna come from it so I well am sensitive To the fact that there, but by the grace of God, I'm saved by grace. Paul rightly said that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, and I'm chief. That means I'm first on the list. But that's because he never met me. (laughs) I'm just teasing. I'm I'm not willing to argue with uh, Paul, who's the biggest sinner.
2: Yes, I'm not either. (laughs) And I'm right up there with you, Gino. Gino, I love you. I've been with you on occasion, and you are a abundant blessing to me. And I thank you, and I praise God for you.
1: Well, thank you. And, I, you know, again, it's a privilege whenever God, in his grace and his mercy, gives us the opportunity to um, present Christ to anyone and encourage them to repent of their sin and to trust him as their savior.
2: And now I'm off to men of valor at grace.
1: <laughs> Chapel. So we'll have fun. I will pray for give, you. Give my Thanks. love and regards to Josh. I will do that.
2: <laughs> All right. Take see you.
1: Mm, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's the number if you want to join me on the program on this tough question Tuesday, 303-873-1935. And like I said, um, there are, and I've talked about this at great length. Excuse
0: me.
1: I don't have a Jimbo. I don't have a button that gets lets me, turn off the uh, the mic when I have to sneeze. So I've been struggling with a little bit of that sneezing. But, you know, like I was sharing with Michael, Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 15 verses 7 sort of deals with the problem of questionable things. And probably you've already come to grips with the fact that Christians and the Christian life. There really are times when sincere Christians disagree about personal practices. And Paul recognizes that in each local church, there are what he calls mature believers, we that are strong, he says in chapter 15, verse 1, as well as immature, Paul says, him that is weak in the faith in chapter 14, verse 1. And so these two groups may disagree on how the Christian is to live. So the Jewish Christian might want to cling to the special holy days and the Old Testament dietary laws, while the Gentile believers might turn their Christian liberty into license and offend their Jewish brothers and sisters. So in the context of Romans chapter 14 and 15... Many Christians have the false notion that extreme legalism like observing days and diets, well, that's the person who actually has strong faith. But Paul states that just the opposite is true. It's the Christian that's mature in their faith who recognizes the truths that are found in Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, which is a passage of Scripture that I quite recently um, taught at Grace Bible Church in Longmont. And in Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, Paul lays out um, the problems with legalism but in the church today we have differences on how to deal with certain things like well can i have streaming on my television can i have worldly amusements um can i go to a bar can i uh have a glass of wine with my dinner can i and the list goes on and on and on and so he in Romans chapter 14, he doesn't give a list of the rules. He, he rather lays down those basic principles that I'm going to suggest to you apply to all Christians in whatever stage of growth. And again, that is, am I fully convinced? Can I do this to the Lord? Will it stand the test of the judgment seat? Does it cause other people to stumble? Can I do this by faith? Can I? Am I doing this to please myself or please others? And again, it, you have to be able to answer those questions because in the end, you're going to have to stand before Jesus and explain what you did or what you refrained from doing. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935.